Shut up and sit down. This league is so much better with Lance Romance back in action. Disc brakes, carbon alloy or steel bikes, aero bikes, super lightweight climbers bikes, TT bikes, endurance and ground fondo bikes, gravel bikes, recumbent bikes, Track bikes, one by drivetrains, wired tyres, tubular tyres, tubeless tyres, deep section wheels, disc wheels, tri-spoke wheels, elastomer rear suspension, and absolutely anything electronic whatsoever. There's no excuse for not acknowledging fellow riders when out on a ride. You are listening to the Dialed Podcast with Matt Lee Grand, Evan Price, Lance Hepler, and Jake Von Turing. Please listen at your own risk as we will not be responsible for injury, loss, or damage as a result of your participation. Capiche? Sing this song. Hi, and welcome back to the Dialed Podcast. I am Jake Von Turing, and today I am here with Lance Hepler. Stinky golden boy, Lance Romance in the house. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> I have a wife. Yeah. <laughs> That's an old one from my sister. Maybe I shouldn't oh, nice. that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we got Evan Price. How is it going, folks? And uh, um, not to skip anybody else, we got Matt Legrand. What's up, ladies and gentlemen of the internet? How are you guys doing? <laughs> And finally, we have a special guest with us today. We've got Chuck Keenlin from OBRA, the uh, Executive Director for Oregon Bicycle Racing Association. Chuck, welcome to the studio. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey. It's going to be fun. Cool. Awesome. All right. Let's get this episode started with our back pedal. And because he's not paying attention right now because he's staring at his phone, I'm going to pick on Evan. Yes. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm prepared for my back pedal. I am not going to waste any time on myself for this back pedal. This last weekend was the Kona Ironman World Championship. I know a lot of you triathlon people there probably watched a good portion of that eight-hour race, which is really crazy to think about people sitting down and watching an eight-hour eight hour event. How much did you watch? Did you? So I was in Leavenworth for the weekend for Oktoberfest, okay. which is fun. Yeah. Anybody who's been here, like oh, wow. Leavenworth is this Bavarian town in the middle of Washington, I, which is just... I up. really want to bring the family up there. Oh, it's worth yeah. it. So fun. So I was watching it on and off all day as much as I could yeah. on the Facebook live feed, which was really useful. Yeah. That that was really cool this year that they did I, it on Facebook. I gotta Live. say, your guys' excitement for it made me want to watch it. How much of that did you so watch, Lance? I, I watched several hours. Yes. With, you know, <laughs> I, I did put fifty mile ride in there in the yes. beginning, but I but I did watch more than I thought I would. It guilty as well. Yeah. It is I was I wait, me, me and Matt were getting texts from Jake and Lance, which I was cracking up was inside funny. knowing how they must have been just hating that they were loving it at that time. <laughs> Jake was like, wait a minute, feed stopped. Where do I go next? Yeah. What's, what's, what's next? I got halfway through the bike or part of the way into the bike. So so the, I think the, the the big story from the race is how fast it was. Now People need to understand that day, the conditions on that day were perfect for speed. Like the water was apparently very calm. The bike had a tailwind on the way back and it was not too hot. So, which I think the heat is kind of like yeah. what really made the big difference. Exactly. And, and like the direction of the wind on the bike was big. Have you, have you guys been to the big Island before? I have not. Lance has though. So I've, I've, I've been, I, yeah. 
eight or nine times or something like that. And every time I go and I take my bike with me, I go for a ride out on the Queen K because that's what you do if you're a former triathlete. Oh, yeah. And after doing that a few times, I never wanted to do that race again. So I've I've heard people say that it's the most underestimated, how difficult that course it, yeah. is, the most underestimated. Super hot, super humid, and it there's nowhere to hide really on the bike. And if it's windy, it's brutal. So it wasn't windy. Yeah, for the race, yeah. and and when the wind picked up, it was when they were coming back in, so it was a tailwind. Yeah, so uh, we'll just go to my my predictions could not have been more impossibly wrong. I mean, it was. We're talking for for everybody who listened to the last one. Matt has his victory coffee right now, and he well deserved it. Oh, you blew it, Evan. I said it was going to be a day <laughs> for the cyclists. So I said it would be a day for the cyclists, assuming that the conditions would be hard. The top, if you look at the top ten, it's all the fast runners. But, but you were outside talking, of one guy, yeah. Cameron. You Worf, talk about Starkey going up front, which he yes, did. like he like did. You, you're you did look into your crystal ball and predict how the race was going to go. Mm-hmm. You just didn't get to the finish. I just didn't as consider as there's a marathon at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So yeah, Starkey went out there, and for for anybody who doesn't know the Starkowitz story, it is definitely worth a short summary of hearing. This guy has been through a lot in the last two years, uh, three years now. His uh, child has been through a lot of health issues. He got hit by a truck and dragged underneath yeah, the truck. That's a gross story. Starkey was hit and dragged underneath the truck. I really do believe this after having met the guy, know him, know, know him personally, that any other human being would have died in that situation. He was saying like he's the he toughest has, human being alive. He was saying he has like PTSD. Yeah. Like he like wakes up like remembering being dragged by the truck. Yeah. Like he's ugh, he, just, he was dragged ugh, for a significant period scary. of time under this truck going 45 miles an hour. That's why I recommend just getting knocked out cold and yes. not remembering anything. <laughs> that's that that's bad when Jake would say, Oh, I'm glad I didn't have that crash. Because Jake's crash obviously being as terrible as it was, this crash was horrific. So for him to even come back and be in this race is incredible. And hammering at the front of the ride, pushing Cameron Wharf, and then to see a cyclist for all the cyclists at the table. Yep. The pro cyclist Cameron Wharf, who I know Jake was loving to see this, hanging on on the marathon and running sub 310 was really cool to see. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. that is, ho- I mean, he went out there and hammered that bike course from start to finish. Inspirational. Yep. yep. What What happened to Keenley and uh, Sanders? Oh. Yeah, they, I didn't. Keenley flatted at one point, yes. and then basically he was back in about twenty fifth, and then I think he kind of, I don't, I don't know how his run went, but I think he kind of that was it. You yeah, know, like he just faded. Well, I don't think he. I, mean, I think I don't. I like to think that he tried. He was one of my picks that didn't yeah. turn out. So um, I don't. I just don't think he moved up that much throughout the race. He really needs to have a big bike to have. And chance. Sanders, Lionel Sanders. <laughs> We're gonna it, see. I, I have not. I, we don't know. He just didn't. He just to didn't have it. He yeah. just did not have yeah, it all day. Kind of same. I mean, came out of the water in about what I would expect. You know, kind he of was back a there. Bit slow. I mean, he he came out of the water not thirty in a good something. Spot. Yeah. And then and then that would like never moved up all the way on the bike. Like we, I would have expected him to mm-hmm. go all the way from that place all the way to kind of the top three. Never happened. Never happened. So I would, and so and I'm kind of curious. Like I don't know what happened. So I kind of keep going and looking up his social media stuff we're to gonna see. find out here soon but i bet yeah. he's not gonna post something for but a couple days i know i think it's all radio silent so i think he's kind of like i don't know what happened not a good day you know whatever yeah, but so. crazy that the times were so fast and seven two, two guys under eight two. hours seven so the 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 podium all beat the previous world record all three guys and That's also, amazing. third place, David McNamee, if you guys are looking for a really funny interview, look at his post-race interview. This guy's from Scotland and is like 
super blue collar guy. Awesome interview. He is hilarious. The guy, like his discussion of the race was the funniest thing I've ever heard. He was talking about when he passed Javier Gomez, who's the Olympic, former Olympic, you know, uh, he's been a multiple time world champion, been on the podium in the Olympics multiple times. And he was talking about when he passed Javier Gomez and he was saying he wanted to stop and get a picture with somebody and then like kind of tease Javier just because he has never passed him in a race in his life and was so excited to be passing him. So very, very interesting, you know, I guess events. It was definitely a runner's race at the end of the day. Gotcha. All right, Matt, back pedal for us. Well, I was super into the world championships as well. Um, then I was, I mentioned this in the last podcast, I was, I've been a little bit sick, a little bit under the weather, and the training this week was just not good. Uh, the one highlight was um, my wife and I got a babysitter yesterday, and she, you know, she, I think she looks forward to this half marathon that she does uh, each year. It's called the Girlfriends, you know. She uh, killed it. Yeah, she, she, she did really well. Um, and, you know, she's been training, but I don't think she's been training that great, you know. And, for, and the same thing happened last year where it's like, I get out there and I'm running with her and she just runs really well for no reason. She ended up getting third place overall. What? Yep. And, uh, she killed it. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I was like, I was running and I was kind of like looking at my watch. I'm clipping off, right? Like seven flat or something like that. And I was like, yep, she's still hanging on. She's doing well. And she, um, came back pretty well, uh, finished well, good view. I mean, we've just had beautiful weather here, so it's been, it's been excellent. So that's kind of the, the highlight of my backpedal. Um, was being able to run with her a little bit. And basically, that's our like date night. You yeah, know, like we yeah. go out for a run and, and get to do some stuff without the kids. So it was good times. Nice. Good times for sure. Lance, backpedal for us, man. Uh, yeah, the weather was so good this week. I, I just, I rode every day. So it big you still got You still got like five days of good weather. Yeah. It's, we, it's going to be like in the 60s. It was, it did was you, nice. Did you get decent mileage in? Or are you talking like... It was like, like 250 miles okay. or something for the oh, week, which is change. a lot. Yeah. Shop change. <laughs> right. But the funnest one was uh, my wife went with me on Thursday, and we did 50 miles. My wife rode 50 miles with me. Is that her longest ride? Um, in the last decade, yeah. So she was, she was all stoked. It was fun to be out there and have some fun. Had a girl, Brandy. Yeah. Brandy kind of... What route did you guys go with? We just went downtown Portland and across the Selwood Bridge and just kind of easy cruising, and she did great. So it was a lot of fun. So that was cool to do. And then, of course, I raced once. Um, Only once. Only once. There was was only one race. That's right. There was only one race, so I've only got one race support. I missed my chance to ride with Lance. There's no (laughs) way I'm ever going to get another chance now. (laughs) But uh, um, I went to Heron Lakes. It's the Cyclocross Crusade. It's their third race in their series. And um, I had been busy all morning, so I got there pretty late in the afternoon. So I just decided to do the last race of the day in the Masters 1-2 field. And I just got smoked. (laughs) (laughs) I got smoked. It was, if I, I I decided, you know, I had no expectations on myself because I knew I was not going to do well in this field, but it was kind of a flat and fast course. So I was feeling a little optimistic because that kind of suits me. But halfway through, I just got dropped by the top 20 people. That, that course looked awesome. The pictures I saw looked so much really fun. good. So, yeah. so, yeah. so are you going to take maybe, I don't know, like an off season at some point here? Well, like a, a little one? Uh, yes, I'll take an off three you days so? or something like that. No, I, I'm sure I'll From racing do something. at least. I mean, you know. Well, once the Crusade series is over, yes, okay. I will. So, yeah, that was the thing is 
it was flat. It was fast. Um, I was kind of in the middle of the pack and trying really hard to catch a guy and totally blew a corner and crashed hard. I think I'm missing some skin. Are we matching right yeah, now? Yeah, mine's way bigger though. Yours is. Yeah. Yours, Yours is, is tougher deeper. looking than mine. They're, they're talking yeah. about their wounds, not what you think they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe we'll get a photo of that and post it to the, post it to the Facebook Of the page. wounds. Oh, yeah. my bad. What are we yeah. talking about again? PG 13. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. So I crashed, and that kind of took the wind out of my sails. And then I was going pretty hard to catch back up. And then I totally blew my tire off my front wheel on a sharp corner. So nice. I ended up running it in. So. So I didn't finish very well. I was like 40th hey. out of 50 people. I beat 10 guys. Nice. Hey, but so. you're, you're, you're in that one, too, feel. I mean, that's <laughs> this is like... Fast I'm going to invite yeah. you again to come run with me. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> can, I, can, can I tell you something, Lance, by the way? So my dad just did his first two cyclocross races of his life this last weekend. Been a road cyclist his whole life. He said the reason that he did this was because of these two, Jake and Lance right here. Oh, really? Convinced him to jump into cyclocross <laughs> yeah. racing. Yeah. He's, he said it was hard, but he I've never heard my dad talk with that much enthusiasm about a race in my entire <laughs> life. So he says he's got some work to do, but Lance, he may be getting in contact with you asking like how he gets fast in cyclocross. So. They're just so much fun. It's, yeah. There's just this party atmosphere. There's all these people there. There's, yeah. ton, you know, ton. There was oh, a thousand Ohio's people got a racing. Good cyclocross following. Yeah. He's he's loving it. Yeah. Matter of fact, it was fun because I'm I'm on the course. I'm just having a blast at the last couple laps because I was out of it, and people were yelling at me, "Hey, Golden Boy, go for it, buddy!" <laughs> so people. <laughs> Obviously, people have been listening was to the white podcast. Po- what, who's it? White Pony? Who's the other guy? It was, white, it was white Tiger or White Stallion. White or Stallion. Like I, think, that. I think it was White Stallion, if I remember right. But people were. So, do you mostly hear Lance Romance? I hear Lance hear? a lot, and yeah. I hear Lance Romance a, a lot. lot. And then you're starting to hear Golden Boy. Yeah, I'm starting to hear Golden Boy. I like Golden Boy. So, Golden Boy so, Lance many, Romance so many nicknames, so little time. But it was fairly dusty out on the course, and you can tell that my voice took a bit of a hit. I'm talking about an octave lower. Lance Romance. That's not just you trying to talk about <laughs> right. yeah. Gonna sing some smelly cat voice. Maybe I should. <laughs> it was funny. Um, my friend Ryan sent me a text this morning after the race, and I told him that I had uh, popped my tire off the wheel. And he said, You can take the tube out of the tire, but you can't take Lance out of the corners. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Good job, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> Chuck, you want to backpedal for us, man? I'll take what you got. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the actually important person on the podcast today. So. Yes, <laughs> yes. How was your week, man? It was good. It yeah? was good. I got. I have a little second job. I I guide fly fishing trips, so I'm a little tired from a few days on the river, but uh, glad to be back at it here in Central Oregon on in the, the bend Deschute, on, the on the Deschutes, Deschutes River. Nice lower Deschutes. Lovely. That's tough to beat. You guys have been having really good weather down there, haven't oh, you? Oh, it's beautiful. But it was 18 degrees when I left the house this morning. Oh, yeah. To drive over to, <laughs> to Portland. Portland. So, so uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be 70. So that's the big swing we get in band is yeah. teens to 70. Great. So when you take people out on guided fly, fly fishing tours, are you fishing yourself or are you just basically telling them what to do? Yeah, I take them to the right spot, point them yeah. in the direction. Point and shoot, huh? Uh, tie, you know, untie their knots, tie their flies on. Gotcha. Take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Might have to um, sign me up for one of your uh, little expeditions are one you, of these days. So are you fishing good, are you a good tipper? More fun <laughs> <laughs> with a guy. Yes, a good tipper. Yeah, are you a good tipper? Sure, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you're a good tipper, you're you're down. Yeah. What's, 
This is like a 20% thing, right? Is that how this works? <laughs> yeah, at least. At least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> awesome. All right. Let's get this thing started. I, 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 I'll, I, I would backpedal, but I don't really have much to say. <laughs> it's just been more of the same, guys. It's just, More rehab. Go listen to like the last four weeks, and you can listen to my backpedal. It's been about the same. So I did see Jake out at the cyclocross race yesterday, so he came out with a couple of his kids. That is true. He came out with my kids and yeah. my camera, and... Um, it was funny. I got back and uploaded the pictures and there was 445 pictures on my camera <laughs> <laughs> and I dwindled, dwindled that down to about 125, I think, and, uh, posted those up on our team site. So that was kind of fun. Are you still swifting? Yes. Another week through, uh, another, another week. Yeah. Another feeling week. solid. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling all right. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just not the most comfortable thing in the world, but yeah. my fitness is coming around a little bit. So that's good. That's good. So anyhow, let us get this thing started and we're going to um, basically just kind of go through a little interview session with Chuck. And I wanted to uh, really give everybody the chance to get to know him a little bit better and let everybody know what it is that he's doing with o OBRA and that's Oregon Bicycle Racing Association as the executive director. And we're going to ask him some questions and just kind of run around the table and let uh, Chuck answer the questions that we have. All right. Sound good? Lance, yep. why don't you start us off, bud? Um, what... Uh how did you get into OBRA? How did you get to that spot where you're at? In 2004, the organization, I was the executive director for the Mount Bachelor Sports Education Foundation. We coached about 600 athletes at Mount Bachelor, ran that. We took over the Cascade Cycling Classic, longest running professional stage race in North America. Yeah. Um, so I, I started learning about the production of bike races then pretty well um, and got to know OBRA. What I, I didn't know that OBRA existed really other than my wife racing um, because there was a great comparison between the, the officials in the yellow shirts and the officials in the blue shirts that were handling the pro races um, during that. And so um, kind of got attracted to the, the OBRA side of things um, a lot cooler. So you've been the executive, the executive director for how long then? For OBRA? Yeah. Oh, since 1st of May, April. Okay. Yeah, so oh, that's pretty, sure, yeah. pretty new to this. New thing. But but yeah, so we, uh, we ran the Cascade Cycling Classic. I decided I'm going to start racing my own bike, joined a team, had a lot of fun, became an OBRA official to help out the local race promoters so they didn't have to pay travel expenses and, and uh, just got involved in the organization that way. The last four years, I promoted bike races in Bend, uh, a couple different weekly series and some bigger weekend events. Gotcha. TFG Racing, it stands for Two Fat Guys. Some of you guys might know, <laughs> know Matthew LaSala. He's been an over racer forever, so Matthew and I were the promoters for that. Oh, very good. Yeah. Gotcha. Evan, you got any questions for him? Yeah, so how, how did you yourself get into cycling? And then my second question to that is, how have you seen like Central <coughs> Oregon change in like, the cycling community and just itself? I know we were talking about that a little bit before the podcast, too. Well, I, I rode before I met my wife, but when I met her, she was a she was a really top-level road bike racer through the 80s, early 90s, um, uh, top-level mountain bike racer. So after we met, I started riding an awful lot more because that was her thing. Um, and so uh, just became a, you know, a recreational rider who I ended up getting fairly strong as a recreational rider and then uh, decided to try to pin a number on and see how that went. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, cycling in Central Oregon is the, the, the biggest change I see. It's it's a it's it's growing immensely. Um, it's so it's I think cycling in itself is healthy. There's a lot of a lot of people coming into the sport of cycling, not necessarily the competitive side of cycling. 
Um, but the other thing, you know, I moved to Bend when it was 16,000 people. It's 100,000 now. Yeah. So it's a little more dangerous out on the roads. Um, but Bend is a huge destination, mountain bike town. Um, and like most of my friends, um, they're kind of shifting their training and their riding to gravel. Um, and that's been a, a big change. Wife just got off a four-day tour in the Ochico Mountains uh, on, on gravel roads. So um, great little bike shop in Prineville, the good bike. And they do a great job out there, put on a lot of events. Very cool. Awesome. Um, I have a question for you. What about Ober right now has you most excited? I mean, what what is one thing that you can think of that you really just get all pumped up about? Well, once I started really understanding the demographics of the membership um, and looking at the kind of the bell curve of the age, the bell curve of of the the income is we we provide a pretty good opportunity for companies to get their name out there. Um, it's pretty powerful. Four thousand members, um, email lists that are that are getting close to twenty thousand. Lot of followers on social media, and so that that excites me. Uh, you know, is the idea of, of Obra selling some presenting sponsors to to help cover some of the costs of Obra. And the big thing there is really to help subsidize race promoters. That's the lifeblood of Obras is, is these guys that, that that work really hard for very little to put on bike races and to help subsidize those to make it more worth their time. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I've got I've got to follow up to that real quick, Matt. Before you go, go. Um, how how does now, now, now that you're at the head of Obra, how do you attract sponsors in like the changing kind of media environment we have, you know, in the last, what, 10 years, five years especially? But um, I, you know, I, th- I think I don't know yet because we have, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't got anybody to, to, to bite yet, but I'm in I'm in talks with two large national companies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they see they, they understand the demographics that we have and who they're who yeah. they're um, going to be out in front of. Um, I, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's, uh, there's an awful lot of value there to them. So again, it's, you know, for us, it's, it's, you got a, you got a state of Oregon, which is cycling crazy. Um, and so they're going to be title sponsors at, at the different championship events. They're going to get their exposure there. They're going to get their exposure throughout the year. Um, all these events are going to have them as sponsors. So you can sell that, you can sell the exposure across the state in, in all disciplines, track, uh, cyclocross, road, mountain. Mm-hmm. And cycling has big followings in all the big cities in Oregon, which is, you know, I mean, Oregon only has how many big cities? <laughs> two, two, three. I'm new here. I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think I I'm allowed to say that. Med- yeah. Medford's right up there at 100,000, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, okay. a, there's a lot of really passionate cyclists down in southern Oregon, mm-hmm. that Rogue River Valley. There's some really strong riders. I was looking at one of the guys, I think he was second in your race, Lance, yesterday, Ben Brainerd. Yeah. Yeah, he's from down in that he's zone. From he's from the Roseburg area. Yeah. yeah, he's a powerhouse. Yeah, he smoked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he smoked a lot. Well, there's some beautiful riding in that yeah. Southern Oregon, Northern California area. Yeah, so. I'm, wor- I'm working with uh, the Visitors Bureau down there. They want to bring bike a big bike race to the area. So uh, they gave me a tour here last spring. I had a really nice conversation with the community there about what it would take to bring a big event there, and they're they're fired up. They're going to start small in 2019 um, bringing some other smaller bike races but in 2020 they want to have a large stage race and their proximity to northern california um, is really good that's a you know some some northern california riders came to that meeting we had and and uh they want to have something like that there too so it's pretty exciting to see something it would be great to get another 
big stage race in the area. That's for sure. Yeah, we only have one. Because really. yeah, because the uh, Baker the City. Baker City. Yeah. 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 It seems like um, it seems like we've been losing race promoters. Yeah. You know, we've we've lost a few people that have or that have been race promoting, or races have gone away, and you know, with that type of exposure that you have with Obra, how do we get new race promoters or get our recent race, you know, the current ones to add other races? Well, I think one thing Obra has done historically is is kind of gone the free market route on the calendar. Um, I've, I saw a number of races this year cannibalized from each other because they were on the same, same date day. on the calendar. And so as a promoter, it's, it's not financial. I mean, I'm a promoter myself, so financially you don't want to lose money, but it's just not fun to put on a bike race for small fields. Yeah. And if you're putting on a race the same day that somebody else is putting on a race that's similar, you're both robbing from each other. And so that's one thing um, going forward is we're going to pay much closer attention to the calendar. So and work with promoters to to give, especially the long time promoters, the the championship events, give them some exclusivity on the calendar. Do you guys meet with the promoters and kind of like get the roundtable going a little bit? Because you know, if you I right. know um, a running organization that I worked with a long time ago did that. You know, at the beginning of each year, we sit down with a big group roundtable a little bit and kind of make sure that they have the opportunity to either, you know, overlap or not overlap, right? Which is what everyone wants to do is not overlap. Right. Here about three weeks ago, I, I contacted all the promoters, asked them to submit their dates for next year to get a, a working calendar. We have the promoters meeting on November 10th where we spend three hours in a room with the promoters. Um, you know, the, the biggest the biggest chunk of time on that agenda is the calendar. Right. And, and um, you know, with, with a few other topics in there. But really, really getting the calendar and creating a smart calendar um, is that really should be, important. I mean, that should be pretty exciting to hear for Oregon, Washington cyclists, because I mean, I just just knowing that that sort of organization's going on is is a good sign. I know the I, I told Chuck I'm I'm from the Midwest originally, and I know we had that problem out in the Midwest where you've got fun races on the same weekend. It's like, yeah, that would have been nice if that would have been addressed prior to, to those ending up on the same day. Yeah, the, the, it really became clear on, on the Ober Road Race Championships. I was over there. I ended up officiating because they were they, they needed an extra official for one of the fields, but I was over there to, to hang medals and give out jerseys. And uh, the same date, there was a, a new event over in, in Bend that was a really cool event and a really cool format, but they were on the same day. That was the best of both where it was a kind of a road bike, mountain bike duathlon. Um, and everybody that did it loved it. And I know I have a lot of friends in Bend that would have driven over to the Silverton and done the road state road race. And I know a lot of folks that did the Obrey road race championships that would have loved to go over to Bend and race the best of both. So, uh, that was kind of a glaring. Then, you know, I put on the Ober Crit Championships the last two years, and two years ago it was right on top of another crit that was here in Portland, I think. And and so that, you know, we didn't, a lot of folks didn't want to drive over to the yeah. Eastern Oregon. To, to, so so that's a big goal is to have a smart calendar. And, and smart doesn't necessarily mean a lot more races. In fact, some t- you know, Oregon has a lot of races. There are a lot of races. Yeah. And so maybe contraction is a good idea to make the races that are there stronger and better and more fun for everybody. Um, so we'll look at that with the promoters and, and there's some really, really talented folks in the state that have been doing this for a long time. I'm no, I'm not an expert at all. So to listen to them and, 
and uh, hear their ideas on that is is really important too. Do the do the promoters work well together? Is it is it a good group that can kind of come together and would would be okay with contracting and working together in that sense? It appears to be. Um, you know, I don't know all of the promoters, um, but the the ones that do the bigger races, you know. The, you know, Zone Five, the the two Davids, what they've been able to do to keep road racing alive in Oregon has been pretty amazing. I know them well, and and Brian out at Baker City, and and uh, um, I just, you know, I think we can we can all do a better job on on uh, creating a calendar that everybody has success. Gotcha. What would you say your personal biggest challenge is right now? With respect to the, the executive director position? Well, I think we've kind of crossed that hurdle, Jake. If those of you who probably don't know this, Jake is the president of the OBRA board right now. So uh, the one the one thing, and I think we're through that hurdle just about, is the governance issue and some of the structure of the organization. Um, we The bylaws hadn't been revised or looked at since 1990. So went through a major bylaws revision, kind of added some structure to the board of directors where we now have officers. Um, and so the board also now has the opportunity with the new bylaws to, to go out and recruit board members um, on top of the six that are elected by the delegates within OBRA. So we can up to five new board members. And so we can go to the, you know, somebody with really strong sports marketing background, recruit them to the board, um, bring a CPA on to help with the finances, that type of thing. So the board can can target people and invite them to be on the board and grow that. Yeah. In, in that same breath, I just want to give you kudos, Chuck. You have brought so much stability to the organization that a lot of people don't see. And it's a thankless job to date um, from, from when you started to now. People don't understand how much work and, and effort you've put forth to really create stability and, and some structure and some foundation for the, uh, the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association. And it's going to be so much fun to watch it flourish over the next year to two years with all of the fun things that are kind of in the pipeline that we're talking about. So uh, thank you. I just wanted well, to thank you on behalf of everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. You know, when I got hired, one of my really good friends is Brad Ross. And most of you know Brad, founder of the Cross Crusade. Yeah. And uh, Brad said, Chuck, I'm going to be your Hope Hicks here for the year. Um, and, but he said, don't go in there and try to, ch you know, change the world. He said, get the house in order first. And that was a really good piece of advice. And uh, I'm doing that from a financial standpoint. I've, I've yeah, com com well, almost completely reorganized the chart of accounts. My big thing is I want the board and our membership to see where we are accurately. Um, and so, I, you know, the, the board, the six board board people that we have right now have fiduciary responsibility for the organization. It's important that they know exactly what's going on. So I'm um, trying to get that squared away. Good, good. Any other questions from you guys? With the upcoming topics, well, plenty, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> good for now. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I, I guess I would say two questions. You know, one, like, what would you say to people that aren't Ober members currently? They're listening to podcasts. Like, how, how would you, you know... Um, suggest they get involved? Um, if they're avid cyclists, yep. find a club. And that's something that Jake's working on here is, is giving, um, being able to reach out, have clubs reach out and attract cyclists to them. Because that's what, that's what got me bike racing was joining a club mm -hmm. and having the, mm -hmm. the cat ones on my team and the women and the juniors learning from the cat ones. And that got me excited about racing. Um, so I think that's, find a club, find a group of people to ride with. And you know, that, 
everybody's experienced it. That first time you pin a number on yeah. pretty makes you pretty nervous. After you've done it once, it's it just it's it's, it's yeah. it gets better and it's a ton of fun. So mm-hmm. you got to take that first leap of faith. Um, it's been fun putting on our local crit series because we've had a bunch of new bike racers nice. show up and they're nervous and they pin a number on and maybe they get dropped and they sure. the first race but by the second race they yeah. might get dropped but able able to jump back in when they get lapped and their confidence goes up and all of a sudden by the end of a six race series they're staying with a group and 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 having fun so it's just it's just you know cross that first hurdle yeah. find a race that 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 fits you cyclocross is a great great first race amen to that and going back to that team comment or the team club comment there's nothing more than more enjoyable than finding that sweet spot of being around a bunch of like-minded people who share a passion for what it is that you love and really can help like you know ease you into the process of learning how to be a proficient bike racer it's a lot of fun so um i i think for me personally with obra and i've said this a bunch of times really hitting home that whole team concept and helping teams um, attract people and come up with a a good way for them to, um, you know, grow their particular club, that's going to be a big thing for us. I I, I really think that that's going to, you know, pay huge dividends for us down the road with with what we're going to invest in that. Yeah, I agree. You know, the exciting thing is, though, the number of OBRA registered teams is up, which is is really cool. Uh, Membership's flat, but the number of organized teams that have, paid for an obra team membership is up so that's a good that's a good sign so what would you like to see current members do to kind of help obra take it to the next level yeah that's you know we all get in our own little bubble absolutely uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty easy to to stay there um when i hear road you know the biggest decline really has been in road bike racing and when i hear them lament the fact that their fields are smaller i feel that they can all do something to bring new new racers in and invite friends and and uh you know the teams that they're on make their teams more open to new riders um you know the dialed cycling team is great because they get you know this the, the huge amount of juniors that are going to come up um so some of the teams opening themselves up to having juniors and and uh, all genders but yeah i think they can do a lot to to, so they can have more fun because it's not as much fun racing in the smaller fields. Absolutely. All right. Well, I hope everybody learned a little bit about Chuck here. Um, on that note, let's um, let's jump into the next round of topics here. Chuck, what in the heck is NABRA? You know, I, it was something that was formed, I think, in 2013. Uh, my predecessor, Kenji Sugahara, and a few other OBRA folks formed this uh, this organization called the North American Bicycle Racing Association, mm-hmm. and it was designed to give out-of-state race promoters a platform to ensure a bike race. Um, so, I mean, everybody here has probably heard of the Crusher and the Tusher. NABRA uh, permits that race. We've 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 done races in Texas, Alaska, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, Tennessee. So all over the country, Hawaii, Southern California. Um, actually, the Hawaii one was funny because the guy wanted to have a uh, an e-bike field in his race. And uh, <laughs> thank God, here we go. <laughs> thank God, I called the insurance company, and thank God they said no, it's a motorized sport. Because <laughs> <laughs> thank you, uh, all four e-bikes, not in racing. <laughs> yeah, isn't that called just like motocross? It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It is. It's, it's motocross. It's but you know what, sport. though, I think. 
You know, it's not going to be the first time I get asked that question. It's going to come up. It's a it's a huge growing segment of the cycling industry. It is, and the people so. who do it love it. They really at, stand by it. At uh, at Cross Vegas a couple of years ago, they had a they had a joke race where everybody rode e bikes, yeah. but it was a it was a joke, you know. Well, but. at Sea Otter they did one, and and Decker rode a non e bike, and I think he still finished third. <laughs> right, so. Go it was <laughs> Carl Decker. Yeah, so <laughs> he jumped he jumped in the e bike race, and I think he still. <laughs> Still finish third place, but so what? It's what I hear from these promoters. I talk with them on the phone, and it's so nice. And one of the reasons Obra was formed was another, another product aside, aside from USA Cycling and permitting their races through through USAC. Um, the promoters around the country have found in their vicinities it's been really a challenge to work with um, our national governing body. I mean, it's a great national governing body, and their their uh, CEO is a is a really talented individual. But it's re- it's regional, and and then the cost of of doing a race through USAC, it's probably about double what what it is for Obra, and we charge these wow. NABRA promoters less than what we charge over because there's no equipment fee and they don't have to have an Obra membership. Um, so it's it's uh, it gives them the opportunity to get insurance for their event that equals the same insurance that USA Cycling provides um, for much lower cost. I don't think we've ever jumped into on this show the, we'll call it a rift between Obra and USA Cycling. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? You know, there may have been, in the the early days, uh, there may have been a rift. And the success of Obra, and it's interesting, you talked to Candy and Mike Murray about it because they were involved when the split happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there there was an Obra before that was part of USA Cycling. And then when the split, they decided to get their own insurance. One of the big successes there was, because it's been tried in other states and failed, in Oregon, all the promoters went with OBRA. The other states, in Colorado, for example, half the races stayed with USAC and half the races went to OBRA. And so people, you know, like didn't know what license. They had to buy two different licenses if they wanted to race in the state of Colorado. And USA Cycling won out uh, down there. You know, I... I don't know about a rift. I, one really good thing that, that's come to pass, Derek Bouchard Hall, who's now the CEO yeah. of, of USA Cycling, he and my predecessor, Kenji, uh, worked out reciprocity agreement. Um, so if you earn points in an OBRA race, they can count towards your USAC upgrade points and vice yeah, versa. And, big, yeah. and so I think that's really huge for our racers. Um, and people coming into OBRA, um, moving into Oregon and racing over races that their their points and their their categories from USA Cycling um, um, cross over to Obra. And the other really cool thing that's happened was the 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 first weekend of the Cyclocross Crusade at Alpenrose, where they were able to work out a deal with USA Cycling to have the first day uh, sanctioned by by them, yes. and so it allowed racers to get points, earn po- you know call up points for the for the national championships. Yeah. Um, so that's a that was a nice and you know the next big barrier I'm going to work on is for the Cascade Cycling Classic is is we were we used to be able to um, dual sanction that the amateur races were were sanctioned through Obra and the pro professional races were through USA Cycling the the previous uh, CEO of USA Cycling um, really really was pretty down on Obra and he did a few other things. Um, to kind of kind of stick stick it to us a bit here, but he said no more dual sanction. Um, if you're going to have amateur races on the same courses, they all have to be sanctioned by USA Cycling. And 
all of a sudden, the organization I worked for, we, we raised money through that event for us. All of a sudden, the amount of money we were able to raise went down significantly. The work went up. The costs went through the roof to have all the amateur races sanctioned there. So, um, Obra, you know, if USA Cycling had a product that Oregon promoters wanted and Oregon racers wanted, um, there may be a discussion of, of, you know, maybe coming back together, but I don't see that happening anytime in the future just because they don't have the product that our racers, our members, and our promoters want here. Gotcha, gotcha. So going back to NABRA, what, what's the... Um What's the end game there? I mean, are we looking to push that forward? Do you want to build that that uh, that agenda? And yeah, and I think you know, our, the, the Obra's marketing director Joel Fletcher and I have talked quite a bit about that of targeting some of the bigger uh, gravel type events around the country because that's a perfect it's a perfect way to 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 do those. Not you know, you don't necessarily have to have officials. Um, you're not having caravans on their own. The exposure for NABRA isn't as high. And the, yeah. the participation levels are really high. So it's a good revenue stream for Obra yeah. to do that. We, we, I'm going to be able to merge our, our uh, liability policies so the costs will be go down for NABRA next year. And um, it's a nice, nice revenue source for the organization to do these out-of-state races. Um, and the bigger ones, the you know bring a lot more in yeah and that's a huge um segment to be getting involved with right now with a ton of upside just given the popularity so i mean that's that's a good move yeah that you know i was i was uh signed up to go to interbike this year and the main thing was to talk to promoters from out of state and when i looked at the list there was i think one race promoter from out of state so <laughs> i didn't want to go to reno yeah i think <laughs> so having having gone to interbike um i think Interbike is starting to decline as um, the ones in Ca uh, California and Chicago are starting to grow a little bit more. So the one in California may yeah. be a little bit like, more what you would want to target, I would think, right. as if, if, right. if that's the, the group you're looking for there. Right. But yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's, it's fun when somebody picks up the phone and calls me who hears about NABRA from another promoter, and I tell them what we have to offer and how it just, it all of a sudden, this huge sense of relief comes off their shoulders that now they feel like they can they can put the event on that they want to so it's okay so if we had somebody out there listening that all of a sudden said hey i need to give these guys a call how, how could they get in touch with you well go to the obra website obra.org go down to the contacts page and i'm on there gotcha so <laughs> click on my email and send me a note um yeah so oregon, oregon bicycle racing association obra.org and you can find me and, and send me a note and ask me, and maybe we can set up a phone conversation to talk more about it. Great. All right. So if, if I understand this right, if, if a race promoter is putting on a race, you have to have insurance. You have to be bonded or insured for the race in case something happens. And they've traditionally only had the option to be insured through USAC. But NABRA gives them a second option, which is much less expensive than what USAC offers. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, and so the, the, the actual upfront permitting fee is less, and then, you know, we call it a head tax. The post-race, how much they pay per rider um, for insurance and, and surcharge um, is much less than what, what it is through USA Cycling. And the insurance covers injuries, potential lawsuits. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what they really want it for is, is uh, you know, one of the events I put on had five different jurisdictions. We had Deschutes County, we had City of Bend, we had ODOT with Forest Service, and some private. So each one of those entities that were 
doing the race on their property wants a certificate naming them as additional insured. I see. And so you provide those certificates and it also provides, you know, liability relief for the promoter. Okay. Yeah. Good. A little bit of an education there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's talk about this next article that um, is kind of something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts, uh, and that's road racing. And um, Chuck had brought this to our attention as well. And basically, it's the it's titled "The U.S. Road Racing Is in a Downward Spiral." Uh, what comes next? And I just wanted to know what about that article really spoke to you, Chuck? You know, for one thing, Neil Rogers has been around the sport forever, and his insights are great. Um, yeah, Travis McCabe said something that, that stuck with me is that cycling in the U.S. is healthy. And I think so I, I, you know, I pull these little positive tidbits out of there that cycling, cycling in the U.S. is healthy. That gives us a great platform if we want to grow the sport of bike racing because the, the sport is healthy. Um, some quotes from Derek Bouchard Hall, too, stuck with me. Um, you know, we had these two different data points. We had the the Greg LeMond years, a little bit of a gap, and then we had the postal Lance Armstrong years. And all of a sudden we had national heroes. If you take those two data points away, it's kind of like where we are today in, from a professional yeah. bike racing standpoint mm -hmm. and where the U.S. is on the world stage. Um, will the U.S. have another Tour de France winner? Probably, but it's not going to happen very often um it's so it's it's uh we're kind of back to that place that we were pre-lemond um kind of between lemond and and postal and uh which isn't unhealthy which isn't it's you know yeah. but it's it's uh we need we, we th th this is my personal opinion but i think we need not only a tour winner we need a character so i mean you think of like it's not like america's had a uh, I mean, we're definitely not in the postal era, but it's not like we have a lack of top end talent. I mean, TJ's been up there, Talansky was up there, Chris Horner won the Vuelta, but none of those three guys, and this is not speaking against them, but they're not transcendent athletes. Right. You know, Lance and Lamont we, were transcendent. We need to recruit Sagan and get his oh my God, U.S. Yeah. citizenship. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> could you? But that's, He's I mean, that was, that was a point yeah. in that article too, is that, that Americans cycling needs heroes. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily need you know, good yeah. cycle. Fast riders, yeah, they, yeah we right. need a hero. They, <laughs> they need a hero. Yeah, we've got personality for days in athletes, and the best cyclist in the world has is probably not riding a bike right now. I mean, we've yeah. got we've got athletes for days that can just. We've got some go great juniors coming yeah. up. Oh, I mean, like, of, if you if you look at the U twenty three and junior worlds, America's amazing. doing great. We yeah. are. Yeah, just need these kids to in all disciplines too. <laughs> be which characters. Is exciting. It's, <laughs> it's in. Uh, so. Yeah. I think the part of the, the paradigm shift needs to come from getting away from our staple sports. And we've talked about that before on this this particular podcast. Um, everybody just thinks baseball, football, basketball, soccer, and they just naturally gravitate to those. And there's so many great athletes that go that way. Uh, and maybe some of the other uh, French sports that go out there, and they're, they're not finding road cycling um, or just cycling in general until later in life. And, you know, they'll discover it maybe, you know, after an injury or when they've hung up their, you know, cleats or whatever, and they've stopped playing a particular sport. And then they, they discover the sport, and it's, it's unfortunately a little bit too late. So, you know, for us, we need to really invest in our junior programs. We need to show kids that there are other means besides, you know, the staple sports that we've talked mm -hmm. about and get them involved in, 
riding bikes. I mean, they're, there's the best athletes are out there. We've just got to promote our sport. We have to um, recruit them and bring them in, and we have to show them the ropes, and then we have to build an infrastructure for them to be successful in. Yeah, I think the, I think one of the other quotes from that article was that, that the domestic cycling scene should have 20 Evolo cycling teams. Mm-hmm. These U23 development teams, no more 30-year-old. Just, just the handicap team and a couple other. Yeah, 30-year-old, yeah, you know, semi-pro bike racers. They need to all be those those U23 Young development kids, yeah. development teams and have have a, a you know a pipeline to get those juniors onto those U23 teams. I think USA Cycling is doing a pretty good job. Um, with that, um, some of the mm-hmm. resources that they have for junior cycling. What one thing that was stuck in my mind about Obra and Obra's relationship to that is, you know, it would be another great, great opportunity for sponsorship is for Obra to have a junior cycling team. We take the top mm-hmm. junior athletes and they wear an Obra kit and they go to the national championships, just like the junior USA cyclists go to the world championships. Yep. Obra will with with coaches and the athletes go to the USA Cycling National Championships and show them what Oregon can do. Uh, so just taking a note from soccer here, so we, we had talked about this before, your, your best U.S. talent, their end goal is still to go to Europe, which is okay. I mean, that's cycling-centric, but that may be part of the problem as well. But if, you're, if, if, if we want to take a note from soccer... Uh, your best U.S. soccer players are not staying in the MLS. They, they they go over and play in Europe. But the great thing about soccer development in the U.S. is that from a, a what you would compare to a junior's development, each state has teams, elite teams, that go and play each other in a national championship. Just like you mentioned, Obra gets a team. Why doesn't each state or region develop a junior cycling team and there's your national championship then all of a sudden you you develop a fan base around that because yep. the, I would Oregonians, watch the Oregonians are going to support the, the Oregon oh, yeah. racers and, and I would watch yeah. every second that if, if yeah. Oprah had a, yeah. a U18 and a U23 cycling team yeah. and they went and competed against California Colorado Vermont Maine yeah. the Northeast it would yeah. be amazing to have the resources to have training camps for those athletes and that and uh kind of throughout the year and then take them to the national championships, not just in road and mountain and yeah. And cyclocross. And this is where, I mean, I think the, the old pros, uh, like, you know, what, what handicap he's done with his team. And I know maybe some people because of certain drug allegations and all this would step away from that stuff. But the old postal right. team, the old American cycling heroes, come back and maybe be a part of that development process would be really cool. Like handicap done. It would. Yeah, I agree. Gotcha. What about what else about this article uh, spoke to you? You know that that's those are the two real key points that I you know I took out of it. I try to you know it's we all we all know um, the the costs of road cycling and put promoting road races is just going up and up and up. We're more fortunate in Central Oregon, so I don't experience the same costs that the the folks in Portland do, or just in the Willamette Valley. Um, but when I hear stories of of zone five having to pay $3,500 for certified flaggers on one of their road races. It's just, you know, there goes the margin, um, just in, in hiring certified flaggers. And in that same breath, I mean, if it becomes so prohibitive, I mean, the two Davids from zone five are doing a fantastic job and they're putting on some great racing and they're giving us a lot of stuff to go out there and get involved in. 
what if they decided that it's just not worth it to them? All of a sudden, like half our road racing calendar is evaporated and gone. That's a lot of eggs in the basket of just them. So I want to do what we can to, to make you sure bet. that they're successful. You bet. And you know, what's exciting is I have two, two women promoters that have come to me this year and they want to, they want to put on road races. They come from road racing backgrounds. It's going to be great to have, to have women race promoters in the, in the state. Um, and hopefully, if if Zone Five decides to phase out, they've got some established races, and they can share their events with these new promoters coming in. So some of those classic events that have been around a while can can stick around, and and we just you know get some new blood in there. Gotcha. So in if, in your opinion, what can we as racers and teams do to better support? Um, bolstering the road racing scene other than just you know registering and signing up and what else can we do um <laughs> uh be willing to jump in your car and travel an hour and a half to <laughs> go to a bike race or two hours <laughs> we do that yeah <laughs> we do that <laughs> well it's i guess uh you know it's it's pretty tough to get folks out of portland um when you can race your bike five days a week um in town that's true. Um, and so, and I get it. I'd love to live here. Uh, boy, I'd, I'd be out at PIR Monday and Tuesday. I'd go to the track. I'd, I'd do Tabor. I'd do Champs um, short track series. And um, it'd be, it's a great place. I, I wonder, though, too, if if uh, events like the, the Tabor series and PIR are robbing from the weekend events, um, the, the more traditional road races. I think you are. I think you're seeing some of that just because if, you, if you're a competitive person, you want to do as well as you possibly can. So you have to pick and choose which one you're going to do well at. And right. you don't want to pay money just to go ride circles out at PIR. I mean, it, granted, it's not terribly expensive, but it's still, I mean, it's an effort and it's, you know, 15, 20 bucks to go out there and race. And you don't want to just show up just to go, you know, pay 20 bucks to get a, a workout in. You want to go out there and compete. So yeah. if you're picking that over a weekend race, then yeah, maybe, I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a point no, there. No. And I, I love those events. They, I mean, they need to, they need to stay there. Um, you know, the way I always looked at my, the weekly series I did when I was, when I was racing was oh, that's just training. That's like, I'm going to experiment and try something new here. Right. I'm going to yeah. try to take a flyer. Right. I'm going to just try things. Mm-hmm. And it's just a training race. Um, it's a good workout. It's not my A race, you know, Um, and so you know those are great series. There's series overall prizes, and chasing those is you know is great, and you can earn bar points for yourself and for your team, and uh, um, you know they're they're great. But I I kind of do feel that that because they've become competitive, and that's you know become people's race. That that's why some of the weekend road races Mm -hmm. are seeing smaller. Well, you know it's just smaller numbers too. It's just you know less. Less folks road racing, but but uh, you know that may have an effect. You know, I've got a I've got a group of people that may be able to fill that for you. There's people that do like swimming and running after these bike things that will travel like upwards of twelve hours in their car for races and have a lot of money and like to travel. So like <laughs> maybe some triathlon marketing can definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. help. <laughs> it's a lot of juniors going into draft legal yeah. racing there too who need to be doing road racing. So yeah. Just another small group to look at. Yeah, that's a funny thing that you bring that up with the triathlon. Mm. Has OBRA ever entertained the idea of taking on triathlon as one of the disciplines that they will support or um, promote? We could. Um, our insurance allows us. I've, I've put on a couple of 5Ks, or we haven't put it on, but we've we've promoted or insured a couple of 5K races. Um, you know that's a good dis- that's a good discussion, Jake, for the for the board to look at that and the philosophy. It's you know I always come from the standpoint that 
do what you do and do it well. And if you start doing too many things, um, you kind of lose focus on, on yeah. what yeah. your what your purpose is. But de- so, but definitely to to just plug this for you guys as as a thinking point. So out east, there's a and in Colorado, there's a big growing draft legal group that's coming up through this next generation. And these are kids who will do road racing. They and some, I mean, you look at Ben Canute, who's probably your most. I mean, that guy does Arizona California bike racing and races as a one-two and is fast and is an Olympic hopeful for triathlon. And in his generation, there's been this big push to get into road racing from these draft legal kids. So, wanting Obra wanting to keep its core as a cycling centric, you know, organization, obviously doing more of the draft legal route would still be by your core because that's still, you're still organizing a bike race. It's basically. Still, it's still a bike race. Still. Right. And, and you're working with kids who will be road racers with you too throughout right. the year. So they right. would road race in the spring yeah. and yeah. they'll draft legal race the rest of the year. So there's definitely yeah. a, a fertile group to look at there. Yeah. And also there's a ton of juniors doing draft legal. That's what these kids are getting into these days. Yeah. Mostly California. Uh, really, it's all over. Actually, some of the fastest draft legal racers uh, are from out east. Are they? Where you race? Yeah, yeah. A couple, couple kids from out there. A couple kids from Georgia. They're very, very fast. Yeah. Good, um, Chuck. One other thing that you provided us um, ahead of time here was um, this, uh, basically, this spreadsheet with all the statistics. Anything that you care to talk about there in terms of the numbers of what we're seeing from Obra? Well, I mean, as as, as you saw from the spreadsheet, there is a, a huge bubble uh, back in. You, you, do you have it pulled up? I do. Yeah. So, I mean, starting in 2006, what was it? 1,700 members. Mm-hmm. And it ballooned up to, in 2012, was that the max? I believe so. Sorry. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to track you. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> that, um, you know, kind of kind of from, it, it kind of followed, I guess, some of that Lance excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even that was post Lance excitement because I was looking at that article you had sent us too, and they were saying was it 2012 is when it hit its peak, and that plat that stayed through 2015, and it's barely dipped recently, but not a lot for for USAC racing membership. Right. Um, I think that was since 2002 was what it took from, which would be the end of the Lance era, towards the end of the Lance era. Yeah. What was this? What was his first tour? Ninety nine. Ninety nine, and then he won all the way through two thousand five, and then came back and then what? Two thousand nine. Yeah. Technically two thousand ten. Yeah. But yeah. So I think there was still some, you know, you you see the growth from two thousand six. I think part of it was still we had a national hero and people wanted to yeah to to get involved. Um, the fact that Obra is still going to be at about thirty six hundred members puts us, you know, even with where we were back in. Um, 2010 probably um that's good it's it's uh there's i mean that's that 3,600 people in a state the size of oregon that want to pin a number on and race their bikes pretty darn good and our decline is i was looking at some numbers from around the country and their racing numbers have declined exponentially like much more than oregon's um so you know looking nationally i think we're still in a pretty strong position here in oregon Um, we're going to get about 38,000 racer days this year in Oregon, which is going to be equal with last year. Um, so that's one guy maybe doing 10 races or one, you know, it's every time yeah. someone, someone races. So, uh, so, so I've got a kind of broad question here for you. How does Obra start to support the younger juniors coming through that may not financially be able to afford 
site, you know, cycling. Cause I mean, if we look at somebody like Lance, Lance came from not exactly, you know, rich background by any mean, very, very humble background. So to create that next American hero, how do we get those kids involved in the sport? So, uh, Joel Fletcher, he's Obra's marketing director, but he also runs the Obra junior program and Stephen Beardsley was involved with that for a while. We've got a fair amount of money in that account and, and that they put on events, they put on different camps throughout the year and there's scholarships available. Um, for athletes that can't afford it. So uh, we take care of the kids to come to those training camps. Um, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's, that, that. that's good to see that that, that, that scholarships. That I'd love to see that. Exist. I'd love to see that fund grow. And I think we can, I think we can do it. That's, you know, that's, that's one of the easier sells um, is to support junior cycling. Mm-hmm. I definitely think we can make a bigger impact um, from a team's perspective too. Getting all the teams involved to help out with that, that process, I think mm-hmm. would be a, a big win for us all. Good. Okay. Any other questions on that, guys? I I want to jump into the next article. Yeah. Yeah. Back, yeah, back, back in podcast twenty nine. <laughs> All the way back in podcast twenty nine. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> exactly. We talked about an article in there, and it was basically, um, you know, basically what's going on with with road racing, and it was um, the wicked problem road racing road cycling faces. Um, there's a lot of good topics in there, and Chuck brought that up as well. And you know, even though we talked about it, I still think it's worth revisiting and going back into some of the uh, the topics that they bring up in there. Um, are there anything or any items in there that really speak to you? You know, I I try to find the positive in all these kind of articles that are that are uh, you doom know, and kind gloom. of doom and gloom. Yeah. And and you know, I, the, my spin on. Th- there's a, there was a section in that article about teams, and we, I'm, we're coming back to teams. Um, and some of these larger, you know, really large teams have gone away. Clubs that have everything from juniors to pro cat ones to you know, masters, women, ev- everybody that that kind of help develop new racers and and get people to race races, and those have gone away. Um, so none of those big teams, Lagrange and some of the other big ones are gone. Um, that that's an area that I think in Oregon we can we can address that through the through the teams and just to get people back out racing again is is through the team structure. That one's that one struck me. Um, you know, going back to uh, the 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 other the other article, um, another quote from Derek Bashard Hall. It re, it. it kind of reiterates what's in the the wicked problem article is that he goes even at USA cycling they don't know what the solution is they they cannot put their finger yeah. on what the, what the cause of the decline there's so many different so many different factors out there um, population growth you know that being able to put on a host a bike race without disrupting people's lives um, yeah Especially in this poor, I mean, you think about Portland, Seattle, Bend, you just explained it, you, your, your town went from 18,000 to 100,000. Right. You know, what's still cool about Bend is I put, I can put on a crit. I don't have to have police. I get a right away permit. I barricade the roads and, uh, I get to put on a criterium in Portland. You gotta, for some reason, the police union says you have to have police out there. So not only, um, are you paying police time and a half? Why, why, why is that? Do you I, know? I don't know. I think it's a union thing. I think, oh, you know, that's kind of okay. what I've heard. Um, be nice to get into the mayor's office yeah. and, uh, um, you know, learn more about that. The other thing they have to do if they want to put on a, you know, criterium racing needs to be in front of people. 
right? It needs to be in a, in a location where people can watch it because that's where you see the excitement of bike racing. Yeah. Watching watching the downtown Criterium in Cascades, Bend. Cascades, yep. Cascades makes, Classic, that's perfect. Ooh, that'll make you want to race your bike because of the speed and the crowds. And, and uh, so putting it on in an office park, you know, doesn't That's doesn't solve point. solve that problem. That's um, a good point. Portland used to have some some criteriums that had great exposure and and uh, they just got too expensive to to do. Um, now, and would, would Vancouver need the same police? I, you know, from what I understand, <coughs> yes. Okay. Um, and the other the other thing that happens up here in Bend, we don't get, have paid parking, right? <laughs> but here, if you if you close the street, you, the promoter has to pay the revenue that would have come from that paid parking Uh-oh. on that on that street. <laughs> you're telling me the city can't just be like, <laughs> yeah. all right, you're good for these eight yeah, hours. Yeah, no, oh. no. So that's you know, so it's just it, it goes back to both the articles that that uh, the cost of of uh can't tell everybody just to bring a bunch of quarters and put them in the little slots there yeah you know just on your way down the street we we joke about in portland if we just had a protest on bikes you know a very fast protest on bikes they'd close the streets or how about you just have the yeah you just have the race during the protest there you just conveniently have it at that there's already police there there's tons of you just pick a weekend yeah any weekend yeah or any any day of the week yeah that's that's funny. <laughs> um, going back to the other article, the um, about the wicked problems, um, it, it touches on a few other pro- um, problems. The the events and the promoters kind of being an issue with um, a lot of the teams getting away from actually putting on the races, and then it's all falling into the hands of promoters. Well, what's your thought on that? Yeah, you know, the team I had, we we pr- we put on a race. And that was a big part of our team because all of a sudden now, you know, we had a team of 35 people, so we're covered on volunteers. And uh, um, it was a it was a great way for our team to give back. And if we did it right, we put some money into the team coffers to help pay for travel and race entries and kits, et cetera. Um, I don't know why. I you know I to me to me it's I think it's. It, it, it allows racers to know what goes into everything Putting behind on a race, the scenes. Yeah. Um, Sense and of respect yeah. for that, for sure. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, at one point in time, if you were to have a team within OBRA, you were supposed to put on a race, and you were also supposed to volunteer to do like some, you know, refing or some officiating. That seems to have kind of gone away. And I'm, I'm, I say this kind of in jest, and, and I'm probably going to get poked for it, but I, I haven't been asked to do any of that one time i've been asked if like if we have any volunteers that can come out and help out with stuff but i've never been directly addressed now i know that i sit on the board of directors and so i should be asking myself to to, yeah. to do more here but do we get back to that i yeah you know that's that's an area that 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 kind of has struck me and i i guess i need to get some historical knowledge from the people that are bound you know information on why that shifted away and and you know what what they feel like we can do to shift it back um, you know, right now that there's maybe half the teams get a big discount for putting on something, whether they're doing a, a trail work on mountain bike trails, they get a big discount for their teams. If they put on a race, they get a team discount. Um, you know, other other types of events, we allow the teams to do that to 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 join join over as an over team for less money. But it's it's not like it's a lot. Um, and some of them do put on events. You know, there's there's definitely teams that do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, loss of venues. And we just kind of touched on that a little bit with respect to growing populations yeah. and whatnot. 
I don't see that correcting itself unless you can get into the mayor's office and, and you know become best friends with them and all of a sudden we've got you know criterium racing in downtown portland again i just don't see that changing because you know cities are seemingly upside down financially and they're trying to squeeze every last penny out of everything that they possibly can and it's just not reasonable for us to think that we can you know shell out that kind of money people aren't going to want to pay a hundred dollars to go to a bike race what do we do yeah yeah the million dollar question there um I, you know, Jake, I don't know. It's, uh, it's getting, you know, part of it is getting in the mayor's office and, and getting in, you know, getting in the city councilor's offices. Why, why does a city like Portland that should not, I mean, with the growth of the city should not be struggling, but financially by any means, why, why would they be concerned with things like, I mean, like little things that can poke holes in this, like parking meter fees and like, Things like I mean, like wh- how could that be the thing that's bogging this down? It's politics, man. Like I've it's, like I've yeah. mentioned before, we're supposed to be the beacon of cycling in America, aren't we? Yeah, that's yeah. just that just grinds my gears because that's such hypocrisy to say you're the beacon of cycling in America and then not have a criteria. <laughs> Bloomington, Indiana, has a criterium and it is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Would would anybody say Bloomington, Indiana, is the shining beacon of cycling in oh, America? Yeah. Do any of you remember the people old, from Bloomington? The may old say that, San Francisco <laughs> Grand Prix. It was a professional race. Yeah. Um, Portland would be a perfect city to have that type yeah. of event. Yeah. yeah. A circuit race and go up the hills and. I mean, we kind of want to be like San Francisco, don't we? Is yeah. that what we're trying to be? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ask people in Portland. Isn't that what the? I mean, if you ask the mayor of Portland, do we kind of want to be like San Francisco? Probably yes. Well, <laughs> I, I was invited to a. a uh, Representative Blumenauer was in Portland. He invited a bunch of cycling industry professionals, mm-hmm. um, influencers to come and kind of have a have the discussion. It's even from Blumenauer, who rides his bike to work every day in the capital, you know, and yeah. you know, in his bow tie, and and uh, he, he he really doesn't have any interest in bike racing. Um, he has a huge interest in cycling for transportation, and I think yeah. that's the same for the city here too. It's you know, racing's a different deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm sure that there's discussions that we can have down the road, but there's got to be a way to, to battle this. And, and it's really, I mean, if you have to push it into a more rural area, if you have to go into an office park or a business park to do it, I mean, and that's your only means to, to have a bike race, then okay, you got to do that. So let's think outside of the box. How can we get more eyeballs on this? I mean, with the advent of social media and smartphones and whatnot, it's very easy to, to get more people watching stuff. It's just right. how do you tie all that together? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to divulge this, but the, the, the therapeutic team here, um, put on a, the red line criterion, yeah. um, Swan Island and talking with the guy that, that really kind of drove that little earlier um he's got some really creative ideas for for doing that i don't want to divulge where he's where he's talking about but that's really what it takes is creative promoters Mm -hmm. um you know why couldn't you have a downtown criterium in beaverton or sure you know mcminnville which is you know it's they're close to the city um without the city politics yeah amen Mm -hmm. amen um, anything else on that article that you wanted to talk about, Jack? No, I, what was, you guys talked about it on the couple of podcasts ago. What was you guys take on it? What was the, I, we've kind of touched on a lot of that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Matt, did you have any in- input on that? I, I mean, so I always, you know, have that kind of triathlon perspective where it's like, who, who are we battling against? We're battling against all these crazy other things, other sports, other events. We have like color runs and Spartan races, and yes. there's just so many different opportunities for, 
you know, um, the moms and dads of the world to go out and do, you know, their athletic event. Um, and I think that puts a ton of pressure on, you know, the, the traditional cycling promotions uh, or promoters or people that are putting on events and they're just hoping to get as many numbers as possible to, to either break even or maybe even squeeze a profit. Um, and, and a lot of those, those color runs, I think those are for profit events. Um, yes. Whereas a lot of the I have actually been part of a timing organization for yeah, one of those. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about them, yeah. but I'll say it is purely for money. Pure, that is pure profit. That's and the McDonald's of yep. the endurance world. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, they, they know what they're doing. They're, you know, you're looking at a for-profit event. They, you know, you're going to get a shirt. Mm-hmm. You're going to run around a parking lot and maybe they throw some colors at you or something stupid. Right. So yep. it's like, this is what, Super affordable this, this is on. what we're up against. Um, and I think it's important for us to, you know, uh, have promoters that are, are like you said, um, thinking very creatively, um, because, um, I think people, once they've done it, they do see the, you know, whether or not it's kind of a genuine event or if it's just kind of garbage. Um, I do think you can see through that, you know, sauce, but I also think like there's an element of like, well, this is easy. Um, and I think promoters are going to have to kind of really think creatively about, you know, what can we do? How can we make our event different? Um, you know, like maybe the location isn't the most important thing. Um, as long as, as we're doing events and we're doing it something, you know, doing something slightly different and doing, making it kind of fun. So, and this is what I think that that wicked problem gets down to. And it really everybody at this table can talk to this because I'm from a diff, I'm from the millennial generation here. So Chuck, you'll be having been in endurance sports for as long as you can, you can speak to this, but I personally have a lot more respect for the generation right after me in how you guys keep your competitive nature. Now I know that endurance sports competitiveness is not for everybody, but when we're talking about keeping road cycling alive and racing alive, there has to be that innate, I want to improve and I want to race other people, which is something that I think your generation was great at maintaining through your whole lifetime. My generation, as I've talked about, we're soft. I, I do not see that same sort of drive in my, I see it in pockets, in very small pockets, but my generation would much rather go and morning drink and then go to a color run and then go out into a brewery and hang out there and then walk along the river, then go and race a well, bike race out in Medford. It's still <laughs> I mean, something it's that I think it's like, okay, well recognize the fact that, you know, they can do this item and they can, you know, they can do it and then they yeah. can promote themselves on their social media platforms and Instagram it. Right? That's, that's where so, you've got to get right. them. Yeah. So, oh, but God, that's, that's sad, but that's not <laughs> right. It is, but it's but true. It, it's You're not right. exclusive to color runs or Spartan races or, or whatever. Runs, right. Example, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean like, I'm, I still think, you know, whether, you know, um, cycling organizations or whatever it is, if they do something creative, people are going to take photos and they're going to, you know, yes. get it up on their social media or whatever right. it is. Like, you know, even like the half marathon that I did yesterday, mm-hmm. it was kind of like there, you know, there was, um, there was nothing wrong with that event. It was fantastic. Raised a lot of money for a good cause. Uh, but you know, every, you know, you, you've tagged these photos a certain way and there's like that, mm-hmm. you know, like, Hey, these, you know, these people participated in this and people can really get behind that. Um, and cycling is, it's got its own twist to it. So it's just a matter of, of, of setting things up, right? Like where the promoter is going to set it up a certain way to where people yeah. can kind of get behind it and kind of develop like that kind of cy- cycling racing by nature. And this is what I've always thought with triathlon cycling by nature is a grittier sort of competitive sport. It is. I mean, it's not nearly, you know, you don't have the, 
million different age group winners. Everybody gets a trophy sort of mentality at a cycling race. It is you won, you didn't win, you come back, you do better next time. That is different than some of the more recreational running world races, which does allow more of that social media, I'm a winner sort of mentality. Triathlon does a good job of that too, I would say. Yeah, everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. And that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's fine. But when we're talking about reviving gritty competitiveness that I think road cycling more thrives off of, that's a, that would be a wicked problem. Like me being the devil's advocate here, I'm sure. saying like that Absolutely. with the people coming into their t- late 20s and 30s, that is a wicked problem. Because I know friends of mine who... If you go to a road race and get your butt slapped, like they're not going to want to come back because that is hard racing. So, and, yeah. and if you think about any running race, you get a medal when you finish. Yes, you do. <laughs> Triathlon, what's the first thing they do? Oh. Hey, you were fifth in your age group. Here's yeah. a medal. Or um, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. But no, no you're five hundredth in your yeah. age group. Here's a medal. So, thank you. You're the, dead last. Here's a medal. Yeah. In the race yesterday, and and I love the the group that puts on this race, but like. Yeah, I do. Know, I do love the girlfriends yeah, yeah, run sure. for the record. But it's, it's awesome. Yeah, for the record. But you know, at the end of the event, everyone that crosses the finish line gets a medal put on by a fireman, and that's to me. <laughs> it's like, hmm, okay, that's cool. Like, I have no problem with that. Is an attractive like, fireman? Yeah, this was like that was the, that was part you. of it. That was <laughs> part of it. It was, it was someone better looking than me, which is very important. Cool. So, that's yeah. shocking. Shocking. <laughs> no, uh, no. So I think it was kind of like that's just one little tweak, right? Like one little marketing thing, and maybe you well, know, like I, I think I don't, think I don't about wanna... the Spartans race too. Your oh, I mean, I know guys my age racing that, and they get to the end and get to thump their chest and say, uh, I oh, I did this, and look nobody wants to look at it and be like, oh, that cross-country guy there just beat you by 35 minutes yeah. in that race. <laughs> you yeah. didn't put your medal away. Like, Wait, is, you're is this, this is the solution right here to Obra. We just well, need medals for every medals finisher for <laughs> at every race. All right. But we laugh about it, but, like, I mean, That's the maybe, wicked problem. But maybe I really there's something, that's the core problem. Well, but maybe there is something there where it's like, hey, we do a girls-only race, and the firemen are there at the finish line to high five you. you know, I'm not saying that that's a good good idea. Actually, I think that's a horrible idea. But <laughs> at the same time, like we all, we're all of us agree that we want more women in cycling. Absolutely, you know, all of us, absolutely, all of yeah. us recognize that there's a problem. We need there. we need like more Kims. Like Kim yeah. is a gritty competitor. Yeah. Kim, we just yeah. need more Kims. They, <laughs> more Kims oh. don't exist. She's an amazing <laughs> she's an amazing lady. But like I do think that we want to open it up, and I don't think that we want to be exclusive at all. And I think that the grittiness that we've talked about mm-hmm. could be a turnoff to, you know, point. the 45 year old mom that's, you know, maybe not getting in 250 miles per week. Yeah. See, but I, but, but I'll disagree with you there, man, play devil's advocate. I think the 45 year old mom's a whole lot grittier than the 26 year old male in Portland right now. I will talk myself down here. I really will. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I think that that 45 year old mother is more gritty, more competitive and more committed to the sport than the guy going to the brewery every single Friday and Saturday and thinking, you know, I still want to jump out there and be competitive goes out there and gets his, you know, butt kicked and never comes back and pins on another number. You know, we sure have some, some, uh, women heroes right now yeah. in the cycling world. Yeah. I mean, the U S is, the U S is really deep and say, really strong. U.S. women's cycling is doing a whole lot better oh. on the national stage. Than oh, the men's on the international side stage. Yeah. Absolutely. International yeah, stage. Yeah. 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 So there's some, there's definitely some heroes out there. I remember watching Corinne Rivera win the downtown Cascade Cycling Classic crit on junior gears. Oh, Jeez. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> when she was, I think she was, seven, How old was she? 17, and she won 17. that crit against oh some of the top women's teams in the country, good crit racers. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's fun to watch her progression. And, wow. I mean, on the track, 
we're doing incredible from the women's perspective right absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your take on competitive, uh, well, not competitive, but like uh, the competition between um, um, people that are going out and doing like stuff on like say Zwift. Like you can go on and you can do the full racing deal on Zwift and there's mm-hmm. races for days. Do you feel like that's taking away from the overseeing? It's so new um, that it's hard. I, I don't know. Um, again, maybe it very well could. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's something there where Oprah could sanction something on Zwift? Well, then sanctions like kind of a heavy to, word, but you kind of have to charge then, and that's the the Would cool thing pay, about like police for that too. Or yeah, yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> that's right. You got to pay for the parking. Cyber police. <laughs> yeah. Let's not joke about that. That could be a thing. Here there's got there's got to be a community of people that you can plug into, though, to at least market. And maybe if Oprah were to do some off-season races on there, just for sake of building membership or data or like yeah. just getting people involved with our sport, because you know what else are we doing here in the Pacific Northwest from December till February? Winter, it's pouring winter outside. Racing. So I mean, yeah. I guess you you could even set it up like a like an over road race where you have categories, yeah. and yeah, you, you, you just race against your yeah. category. There's a lot of stuff going on there, and that's definitely yeah. a, a conversation I think that we should have at some point in time. Um, I, I, I think that there might be a play there to at least attract some more people to the, the cycling scene because they're able to get on there, and they can step away from it at any point in time, and they can be as strong or as weak as they are. And, and there's like a world championship race for that now too, isn't there? Uh, it's growing. Like I think there by, was this by last leaps year. and bounds. Yeah. But Someone can go in there and get their butt handed to them, but they're not going to be as dejected as they would be after going, you know, in front of people. Exactly. Yeah. You just, that'd be a good entry for people just to, you know, kind of build their fitness through the winter and give maybe this be confident enough. Yeah. yeah give it, this a try. It could be a little gateway drug to get more people yeah. out there bicycle <laughs> racing. Pin on this virtual number. And yeah. And, uh, what um, a, what about something like the Savvy Island shootout? This is a, a topic that we talked about as well. So I've heard promoters complain about the Savvy Island shootout taking away from racing because guys are just showing up and they're doing this unofficial bike ride that has a, a built-in race component to it. You know, those types of rides have been around forever. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife used to do those uh, um, up around uh, Lake Whatcom up in bellingham when she was coming up racing gotcha. it'd be a group oh, ride a that would beautiful ride wouldn't it be yeah that's oh, turned that's it cool. turned into a race um so it's not that's nothing new um i i look at the opposite i think it's it's uh it's it's set up to give people more confidence maybe to go actually race that have never done it before and that's a fast strong group i think yeah. most of your people showing up at the savvy island race are racing i would think right for the most part, there's most a lot of guys, of, a lot of people that uh, are saying though that, you know, a guy that would have done ten races might only go out and do five races because he's getting his racing fix from doing something like the Savvy Island Shootout. And I'm with Chuck. I, I disagree, and I think that it's kind of on us as um, <coughs> from the racing community to go out there and, like I said in the podcast before, go shake a hand, go meet people, go talk to them, mm-hmm. say you absolutely killed it. You should be out here and checking out this race. This race would suit yeah. you really well. Or join dialed. <laughs> or any yeah, other yeah, team yeah. out there, yeah. any other team out there, and but mostly and dialed, <laughs> and and use that as a, a mm-hmm. platform to go and recruit. And Ben, we have the Hammerfest every Tuesday night, and uh, same ride every night, and it's it's uh, it's a race. Which is the faster ride, Savi or Hammerfest? I've never been to Savi. Oh. Uh, the Hammerfest has got hills. Oh, oh okay. okay. Savi yeah. doesn't. Savi's Savi doesn't have flat. a single hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, occasionally Ian Boswell will show up. And <laughs> I'll give the, the <laughs> nod to the hammer. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, do I, some of the triathletes show up to that? Yep. 
Yeah. They do. So yeah, is Jesse yeah, Thomas showing up to that? Um, or Matt never Lieto. seen Lieto used to show Lieto. up on those and um, oh, more so Saturday. But you know, the then. interesting thing about that ride is it did turn into a race when weekly racing went away in Bend, and it got dangerous. Um, guys, you know, running stop stop signs to not get dropped from the lead group that type that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we brought back the weekly crits, that ride got a little safer. They they, they, yeah. they could get their racing out of the way on, gotcha. on Wednesdays and then on Tuesdays, you know, have a hard ride. But yeah, it was not quite as dangerous. Gotcha. And my last point that I'll make here on this one is texting and driving. And everybody knows my, my feelings on this because I <laughs> talk about it ad nauseum. Um, what what do we do to, to combat this? How do how do we get this message out there? And and how can we utilize Obra and their membership and their their people and their connections to help just society in general to stop this? Yeah, distracted driving. People are losing their lives. It's just it's. I mean, yeah, happened to you, didn't it? I mean, you, yeah, that was the cause of your yeah. your accident. Distracted wasn't it? driving. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that the word is out there. I mean, it's like the national media is on it. I what did I just see? I saw the best advertisement the other day about this guy that 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 helped everybody lent a helping hand at work and his whole thing and then all of a sudden he gets caught in his car texting so he's no longer such a good guy you know he was was like everybody's um jake i don't know what Ober can do it's it's i mean it's but it's having an effect it's i think people are less feel less safe riding on the roads training on the roads because of that um you know, in Bend, there's a there's a hearing tomorrow for a driver that that uh, killed a cyclist last winter, um, and the Bend police didn't write a citation to the to the driver. The Bend police department feels like cyclists need to yield to the motorists. Oh, jeez, <laughs> that was he, a collective eye roll yeah, sigh and, and terrible and look from so, everybody at this table. You know, the idea that they, I'm going to go to the hearing tomorrow. Most of this, a lot of the cycling community is going to show up with our bike helmets and. I don't. I, I don't up. understand this separation between motorists and cyclists because I don't know about you all at this table, but I also drive a car. So yep, exactly. I don't know why a motorist thinks that oh you're a cyclist. Like no, no, I drive cars too, and I will wait behind a person going 12 miles an hour on a bike because I value human life. I won't. Is claim, it just that simple? I won't claim this idea, but wouldn't it be amazing if every sixth grader in the country got a bicycle, and there was a class that they took on how to ride their bikes through town, and it was that like, would be awesome. It was. And in order to get your driver's license at, maybe you get your bike when you're 12. In order for you to get your driver's license at 16, you have to log a thousand miles on your bike. That yeah. would be incredible. It gives you four years to do, do that. You know my li- do, do you know how many society problems you'd solve with so that then program? All, but the coolest thing about that is all those kids, once they get their license, they're going to pay attention to cyclists because that's what they did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's funny. It wasn't my idea. I do this with my kids all the time, and and I've seen it come up in articles. I'm like, ah, somebody else was kind of thinking the same thing. When I'm in the car with my kids, we always do an over-under whenever we're driving. Hey, kids, how many many bikes do you think we'll see today on our drive from here to there? And we'll come up with our numbers, and then we will start counting all the cyclists. But you know what that's causing my kids to do? Pay Pay attention attention to the cyclists on the road. Right. And it, it, yeah. it really, it's a paradigm shift for people. Like you start to like engage with like your surroundings. You start looking for these people like, oh, okay, I, I, that, that's a great game to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that aren't cyclists. No. <laughs> and so, it's just so a, we have a different perspective yeah. for sure. It, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's one yeah. thing that we can do with our kids. But uh, another thing is just, I, I really, it, it makes me want to beat my head against the wall just thinking about this. But um, these people talk about how, 
utterly like terrible cyclists are and we're the worst and we're breaking all the rules we're doing all this other stuff like okay i, I might roll a stop sign like slow down but not come to a complete stop I, I, i'm not like killing people you know no. that and that's no. what they're, that's literally what they're doing and they make it sound like we are holding them up in all of their uh you know they're they're commuting around there they're driving and they're you know being put behind like getting where they need to go by 20 minutes and it's like all right i've lived in cycling hotbeds all of my life and i have been on the road driving my car dealing with people out on the road i can't think of any issues maybe once where i was held up for like three or four seconds i'm sorry but that that doesn't constitute the bad rap that we get and now it's just it's a lot a lot of people listen to lars larson up here in portland and he really he really spews that negative um, that, that I think I think it just says a lot more about you as a person if you have that sort of anger towards somebody that you don't know. This is this no. is not a cycling problem. This is not anything cyclists are doing. Are there cyclists out there blowing stoplights when they shouldn't be? Sure, yeah, that that happens because cyclists are also motorists and there's humans. You know, yeah. cyclists are also humans, so they're gonna there's gonna be jerk cyclists out there. But if you're getting that angry at somebody to where you would want to physically harm and maybe kill them says a whole lot more about you as a human being yeah. and just us as a society. I think it's a societal problem, not a what can cyclists do. This is a what is wrong with people these days. Yeah. I mean, look at look at any Facebook social message board. You think about if you came face to face with that cyclist, how many of those things you think that have been yelled at you would be said face to face? Zero. Because now we have this anonymity with I can hit you with my car and then speed off and I don't have to help you now. That's terrifying. I mean, it's the same thing with you know, hate that gets spewed on Facebook, Twitter, all of that. There's an anonymity to it that you would not say if somebody was looking at you in the face. Yeah. Which is kind of scary, but yeah, yeah. good point. And unfortunately that's driving people off the road. And I think that's, that's a big problem. I think for, for road racing and, um, good on you for getting ahead of the, the gravel grinding, uh, you know, yeah. Racing and whatnot, but it's, uh, it's unfortunate that we have to deal with that. It really is. So, I think it's I think it's cyclical. I think the pendulum will swing. I'm I'm confident that it will. Okay. It's such a cool. It's the most beautiful sport in the world. Yeah, I agree. It is, and uh, it's not going to go away. It's you know it's here to stay. So, Chuck, I love your positive attitude. I like that. <laughs> it's like too. every it's every back. article we talk about, like cycling's you know spiraling down, and you're like, I think it's, it's good. No, I, I like think, it. I like the positive takes on I this like and that. that. No, I I think you're right. I think. Um, you know, I think it's definitely going to, I think we're kind of in the thick of it right now. I think we have uh, smartphones that are very distracting. I think that, you know, this is probably the pinnacle of as bad as it's going to get. And then I think we're going to have, I actually think that we're going to have cars that will drive themselves in another 10, 15 years. That'd be great. And in and, and those, you know, we can program in respect for cyclists, <laughs> uh, which we, we can't program that into people, unfortunately. Um, but I think when people can like fully be distracted by their phones and let their cars just drive, you know, and whether or not the car has to wait 10 minutes behind a slow cyclist, the person's not going to care because they're going to be distracted by you know, they're right. Facebook. They're gonna, right. Yeah, they're going to be fine. Right. So I, th- I think we're kind of in this like really bad spot right now where people are distracted by their smartphones and disrespectful of cyclists. And it's just a tough, and, tough time to be on the road. And, you know, the, the, 
this is my experience in Bend with the growth that we that we've experienced. That the the danger on the road isn't the newcomers coming to town. Mm-hmm. It's the people whose lifestyles have changed because of the yeah. growth and they're right. angry about the growth. Yeah. And yeah. the growth has slowed down their commute and the growth has yeah. created more traffic and and it's it's, yeah. it's it's the folks that have been around a while. It's not it's not all the right. new people and I'm sure it's the same here. Um, Who's you know, driving I, a car in Bend to work? Isn't oh, everything a, within a bike ride of <laughs> itself and work? No. <laughs> hey, you know, I got to drive 15 minutes to Costco. That's a big commute for me. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good discussion. Let's um, let's call that a wrap and let's jump into one last thing. Lance, hit us up with one last thing, my man. Uh, I, I've got nothing this week. Yeah, just what? yeah. I've got nothing, so um, I'm just excited for the weekend. Up, I might be going to Utah for a little while. It's my son's birthday, and so I might leave town for a while. And so. we've got a weekend off from the Cross Crusades this weekend coming up, right? Uh, we do. There is a race in Camby that that you could go do that isn't part of the Cross Crusades, and it's a great promoter and a great venue. So I hope people go do that uh, cross race. But are I'm, you going to be open for a ride this weekend, Saturday, Lance? Not if I'm in Utah. Oh yeah, you may be in Utah. <laughs> Well, if you don't go to Utah. <laughs> yes, I would Let's be. actually ride. <laughs> so. Evan, one last thing. Um, we actually just started this cool little thing at Movement Revolution on Sundays. We may potentially be doing a group kind of focused Zwift ride through the winter. So anybody who wants to join that, you can hit me up or go, you know, contact Robbie over at Movement Revolution so we can get a group over there. It's a fun little little iron, like iron style bike training. Cool. It's, I it's, think their website is Movement Revolution pt.com yes I, I, we can I, yeah. you can google for it it's basically their logo is google like a, their facebook swirl too. Yeah, yeah swirly logo mm-hmm. um but yeah people can check that out yeah it'll be it'll be a fun group there and i'll be there super boring probably not talking looking down on my aero bike so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right chuck one last thing Single speed world championships in Bend. Oh yeah, Saturday. that's oh, why the yeah. Cross Crusade isn't happening this yeah, weekend. Yeah, because uh, single speed. Yeah, I think there's champs. there's whiskey aid stations. I don't think spandex is God, allowed. That's awesome. It's, it's, spandex uh, is not allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's gonna be crazy. I'm gonna be out of town. Thank goodness. Are jean shorts allowed? <laughs> yeah. Or is that Jorts, promoted? Yeah. Jorts are promoted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, one last thing. Yeah, let's see. I um. A little while ago, I went and spent a whole bunch of time up on Mount Hood, like multiple trips up there to Mount Hood. And, you know, we kind of talked about it on the podcast. And I basically was like, can't talk about it. Can't talk Teased about it. it. You know, <laughs> and it was, that was the thought process. It was like, OK, you know, we're not going to talk about it. But um, this week, the video that I worked on with this group, um, it's a, it's mostly a group of pro triathletes. Um, and they're kind of under this umbrella called Transition 4. Uh, they put on this. They're event. not just any pro triathletes. Yeah, the, they are, Matt is going to way underplay how important sure. he is here. Like, no, this is this is important, a very fast group of people. Yeah. So they are good. They're some of the the best triathletes in the world. Like one of the guys that was kind of at the race was you know he's won Ironman Canada, um, and then um, let's see, I I would say that Eric Langstrom is probably the. I guess initiator or, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what his role is, but he's the one that started transition four. Um, and he's been, he's an awesome presence in this region. Yeah. He really he's is. basically yeah. just been winning the half Ironman he races, won Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz. Was, yeah. And then there's one in Michigan that he won steelhead steelhead. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, a, he's a winning machine. All he does is win. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, he, um, he basically asked me to be, you know, one of the cinematographer people for this, this project. And, uh, that video should come out at the end of this week. 
Um, cool. But if you guys want to go look for trailers right now, you can uh, search for the Overland Triathlon. Overland Triathlon. You can search for it on YouTube or you can check out my YouTube. I'll link to it. Um, and definitely there should be a big kind of promotional whirlwind kind of um, kind of launching that little video I'm project. I'm very excited for yeah, this. It's going to be like cool. a it's going to be like a 20 minute video just talking about it. And it's basically like a non-traditional triathlon where this is gonna you be get cool. to, yeah, you get to do some off-road stuff and it's not in a specific order and it's, I think you'll like it. It's pretty cool. Yep. Cool. Very cool. I will uh, <coughs> kick off my one last thing with our uh, weekly dial cycling team ride on Zwift. And if you guys want to join us, um, look us up on Strava. Check out the Dialed Cycling uh, group page there, and we will post up all the details and um, put out the information. But 6.30 on Tuesday nights, we ride for this time of year. We're getting up to about 30 miles. And then, like I said, as the course of the year rolls on, we'll get up closer to 50 miles, which ain't too shabby for a Tuesday night to get a ride Not in. at all. Yeah. So on the final note here, um, I just wanted to thank Chuck again for coming in. It was a pleasure to have you in here and getting your insight and getting to know you a little bit better. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> and uh, if you guys want to learn more about Oregon Bicycle Racing Association, a.k.a. OBRA, uh, you can check them out on Facebook and you're going to look up, um, you can look up Oregon Bicycle Racing or their, their tag is um, at OR Bicycle Racing. Um, you can check them out on Instagram at Oregon Bike Racing, and you can check them out on their website at obra.org. Any one of those um, will be full of all kinds of cool pictures and information and racing and all kinds of fun stuff with respect to bikes. So anything else you want to add on Obra there, Chuck? Nope. No? Thank you. Yeah. If you want to reach Chuck, too, he uh, is on the obra.org website. Um, hey, my BAM underwear made the uh, front page of the Obra uh, site last Ooh, week. Yeah. I didn't see oh, that. that needs to get tagged <laughs> yeah. and put on our Facebook. They've, they've already moved on, but <laughs> yeah. I had a day of about four or five days where the BAM underwear was prominent. Is that, is that going to make an appearance again like sometime this week? Yeah, this I'll, I'll wear it to the podcast next week. There you go. You know. <laughs> I'll wear my Speedo. We'll, we'll, we'll I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure you got a screenshot of that, so we have to send that over so we can post that up on our social media, um, of which you can check out at uh, at Dow Podcast at, on um, Instagram as well as at uh, Facebook, and then you guys can always email us at Dial Podcast. Um, any of our first names at dialpodcast.com. All right, you guys, thank you very much for coming back around for another awesome show. It's a pleasure always to have this in our week. So, thank you. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> All right. Um, You guys have a great one. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.